This episode of Ain't That Swell is brought to you by Dr. V, an innovative, feel-good, functional energy drink that is a legitimate, healthy alternative to the toxic, adrenaline-milking, synthetic, soul-sucking garbage swamping the market. (laughs) That's right, we're talking about a full-blown, guilt-free, pump-up beverage that's actually good for you. Dr. V is scientifically formulated by doctors and naturopaths, Sniv, your favourite, and it delivers 100% natural metabolic energy without the damaging side effects of traditional energy drinks, effects such as constipation, flatulence, impotency, and halitosis, and just an overall feeling of fucking dread, mate. Those toxic energy drinks, maybe you know what they're like. Get the dread out of your head with a functional and immunity-building blend to energise every moment and every cell in that thumping, thriving, throbbing organism of yours. It's fast becoming the go-to energy boost for athletes and adventurers, students, professionals, and food-forward well-beings seeking a truly healthy alternative. Dr. V is proudly made in Australia and is a proud support partner of Ain't That Swell. Keep an eye out for all their flavours, four of them, Bender Mender, Karma Karma, Brainstorm, and Siberian Rush. And get on the website, check it out, Dr. V, put in the, uh, the special code, Swellian, and uh, get a discount on your first box of the good gear coming directly to your door. Dr. V, Smiv, crack one open, see you in the head rush zone, my friend. Hey, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say, and I ASP are going to find me, because I want to be a part of this fucking jump. Want to be Kenny's tour. You know, I think they got their, his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the whoop, drop down, say, bah! Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Oh, that's the table thing? Oh, surf looks good on it. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back! Hello, Swellians. Welcome to Ain't That Swell's Cosmic Apricot Choice Cuts from the 2022 Usher Cup Finals Day. These are a handful of core combos that myself and Smivy enjoyed during Finals Day of commentary live from Snapper Rocks. The surf was cooking, the sun was shining, and the cosmic apricots were opening portals through the fabric of space-time and delivering yarns for the ages. Our guest panel includes 1993 world champ and Swellian queen Pauline Mensah, Gold Coast goofy icon and long-time commentator Glenn Rocky Rawlings, Mr Cosmic Apricot himself, 1978 world champ, Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew and Dean Dingo unroll the red lippy Morrison absolutely on point with anecdotes, revelations insights and a level of hard earned down to earth wisdom and gratitude that will no doubt echo through generations these conversations were recorded by His Holiness the Ranga Dalai Lama himself Simon Shaga Shafinger a man, or without whom, 
the Cooley kids would simply not exist. And these took place, coincidentally, on the opening day of the 22 Pipeline Billabong Pro, which you may recall was one of the great cone-offs in history. So, on one side of the Pacific, we had a cone-fest of monumental proportions in full swing. On the other, a grassroots board rider showdown at Perfect Three Foot Snapper, raising funds for local charities. The Asher Cup is the brainchild of Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew and local skits froth lord, her madman, philanthropist, all-round legend, Theo Varictaris. We hope you enjoy these cosmic apricot sessions live from the Usher Cup. Well, we're joined here by some Gold Coast surfing royalty, Mr. Dean Dingo Morrison. Welcome to the booth, brother. Smitty, good to join you guys. Stoked. Man, uh, fill us in on uh, Thomas Carvalho. You know much of his story? I know he's from around here. Mate, yeah, he, you know what? He's just a workhorse. He's out there every day, puts in the time, and you've just seen how much he's improved over the last... 18 months like he's always training he's always out in the water he surfs no matter what and it's so good to see that dedication because as you know Pauline you know how dedicated you are in the water and doing all them things it you know it, it can pave the way to be able to make a successful career yeah absolutely I remember going out when it was like you know a size of for an ant really I was just desperate to surf every condition and I guess too because um we did surf the small wave tour back then, so um, you had to be good in the little stuff. But um, time in the water is everything, really. Like, you can be as fit as anything, but you've got to be able to read the waves. Yeah, and just that, you know, preparing for an event. Like, how, how many days before would you rock up to an event to get your preparation going? So to, you know, check to see what kind of waves you're surfing, you know, the tides, what's coming. Would it be like, would you have a specific amount of days before an event? If I could, like we did have a lot of back-to-back events, so we didn't have a lot of time. But if I had a choice to be there earlier, I'd try to get there at least 10 days before if I could. And um, yeah, just suss out the place. And I spent a lot longer time in Hawaii and was really happy I did. What are you looking for out here, Dingo, in terms of uh, wave selection? It is, you know not the easiest joint to find those little elbows they're out here but uh yeah like you said if you haven't put the time in to prepare properly uh they can go underneath you what are you looking for mate you're you're looking down the line you're looking for how much of a wall it's gone in it and um and where it's going to hit the bank you don't want it bending out to see you want it coming more in and once you can kind of see that you can kind of get your speed and then then the wave will just kind of link up along the bank so, you know, usually it's the ones behind the rock, um, just straight out, out from, the, from the rock there where you jump off. And then they kind of connect all the way through. But as we're seeing today, there's them ones, and then there's these wider ones as well that, um, that are kind of out front a little marley. It's always at a point break like this, you're looking down the line, like as far as you can see and how far if it's coming in or if it's bending out to sea. You had an incredible read on this joint. You still do, but uh, who's the best you've ever seen out here in terms of just their ability to pick the good ones and uh, just read it really well? So let's start with an Australian first. 
Um, well, obviously, Mick and Joel, you know, like, they surf out here the most. And, you know, Joel really loves the ones behind the rock. And you, that's where he sits is to get them hollow ones. Yeah, so, Parco, loving the, loving the ones behind the rock. Talk to us about how technical it is to knife one behind the rock of all that backwash and wall. We were discussing it. I was discussing with Stace Galbraith, actually. We are kind of comparing, uh, you know, been watching the backdoor shootout, so we are comparing... Uh, behind the rock, just the technicality of tube riding there versus somewhere like backdoor. I mean, two places you're incredibly experienced at. I mean, how how tech of a wave is it behind the rock snap up? Yeah, like you said, there's there's that backwash that you kind of got a time, and when you when it drains out, you and then you're trying to get a rail in, it's it's super difficult. But once you kind of or you, or you really need to get that rail in, that inside rail to actually connect with a wave. And once you can do that, you can kind of fall out of the sky. But as long as you're falling out of the sky onto your rail, it'll grab and then you can stand up in the pit. <laughs> wow, that is so nuts. Yeah. yeah, It's no surprise that, you know, yourself, Mick and Joel, when it came to Hawaii, you were as good as anyone in the world out there. Uh, and I guess you, you got to credit just uh, the wave here, we've given you that skill set. Once you can knife one with all that backwash and disturbance and free-falling and setting your inside rail like that, everywhere else must be kind of easy. Yeah, there's definitely a technique to it. And, um, you know, Andy was great at that. But as you said, like, we were good in Hawaii, but we were spending months and months in Hawaii when we were 15 years old. So there was that preparation as well, that by the time we actually got to the tour... We, we knew pipe and backdoor and that so much. It, you know, like with, with Chopu and Fiji, it actually took a little bit more time for everyone to feel more comfortable out there. But, yeah, the thing that's amazing about this wave is it has so many different parts of the wave that are so much like different places around the world. So it's absolutely amazing training ground for you guys to have such a long wave that you can, um, you know, like one wave is like... 10 waves anywhere else and in terms of an international competitor who kind of really surprised you in their ability to you know pick the good ones and, and surf them well who was the best uh the best foreigner you ever seen out here um you know i think kelly his read of an ocean is second to none you know as pauline would see I, I remember watching him um when he w beat joel after joel won the world title in 2012 they had a final down at kira and um, it was early, it was I think it was in the fourth round, and um, everyone was sitting up near Big Groin, and then uh, all of a sudden he was he started his heat like um, out front of the hut there, and I just wrote him off. I was like, what's he doing? And then I think I think uh, someone actually got two eights on him, and I was like, I kind of wrote him off. And then next thing you know, he got two nines, and I was like, wow, like you know, I've lived here my whole life, and I actually didn't even see it. It's funny you said that because there's been quite a few events like we're just thinking, what the hell is he doing? Like, what a weird spot to go. And he's always outside the box of going somewhere totally different. And then he just always got these just amazing waves. So yeah, he just just saw the ocean in a different light to all of us, I think. And he's just got that really special magic connection to the ocean well just back to that story i actually remember that i was covering the event and i remember being down there on dusk the night before having a look you know it was, it was a bit stormy and and junky but you could tell you know the call was that it was likely to run at kira the next day and he was there on the groin watching it and uh you know 
so he just had this read on the conditions. And I don't remember seeing Mick or Joel down there that night. I guess being local guys, they're just going to assume that they're going to be comfortable out there. But what Slater saw was uh, he ended up calling it the honeypot. The bank was kind of tapered off that end bit. Uh, and for the, the next few days, it was there was absolutely mental ones off that end bit. For whatever reason, the bank would just uh, corner it off a bit there. And, um, yeah, that just ended up being his, his little secret weapon. He just had his eyes on it, um, always staying alive, keeping his eyes on the ocean. His read of conditions there, I remember that perfect 20 at cloud break where, yeah, he just, I guess he's able to compute what he's seeing in such an incredibly intelligent way that um, it just yields benefits time after time. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, and then you add in the skill level too. You know, that's, that's why he's 11 times world champion. There's a, within the competition, in that 30-minute heat, he had the advantage in all categories, you know. And there's probably people that, ability-wise, you know, were just as good as him. But then reading the ocean the way he does would just make him just so much more, have so much more an advantage in all conditions. It's yeah, because so it's, it's about being also a smart surfer. You can... You, often so often see surfers that are absolutely magical surfers but they don't have a competition head on them at all and um kelly's always had both and managed to um i almost feel like he's rubber man like he puts himself absolutely everywhere he can spread himself out i actually remember a story of kelly surfing um owls that that other wave up from um from salander there and uh, he was surfing with mark and a couple other guys uh mark matthews and, um, What's the go of that joint? Centers or something? What do they call it? Yeah, centers. And um, it's actually it's a really hard wave to read. And um, he just had it down pat and was actually telling Marky how to how to surf it, you know. And but just that understanding of it. And actually, Marky actually learned a lot that day about it. And it was like the first or second time he had actually surfed it. But you know, just the that wisdom to know that you know, just it cuts out the variables in when you're competing, you know, because as like. I'd love for you to go into that, like, you know, cutting out the variables so you're not thinking so much in the heat. It's more like you're just reacting. Yeah. Um, so for myself, like, a bit like you're saying, Kelly watching the surf and, and checking it out, that's what I always did before I surfed. So, you know, even now, you know, the tide was getting lower and lower and and it's important to watch it the day before, like you said. So you've almost got your plan ready before you go out there. It's an underrated aspect of pro surfing is just oceanic intelligence. Like, um, you know, what we see on the screen is just sheer ability and skill, but what you don't see is the, the mathematics of a great surfing mind like Slater, just putting it all together, understanding the conditions. It's such an interesting story about uh, that, that wave up the, up the point there from ours. Uh, you know, that, that joint's like, pretty much a boog wave like it's it's such a, a nasty piece of reef I, I don't actually ever really remember seeing any uh or two photos of people surfing on a stick let alone a guy from freaking sebastian inlet florida's just fly, just fifoed in he's tuning up matthews on how to surf the joint that's hilarious yeah and it's just that tuned in you know and and you can kind of see when when someone's that tuned in the ocean you see the they're on every set, wherever they're positioned themselves, a wave's coming to them. And, um, you know, like, I've heard of Tom Curran. You know, I heard that he was a lot like that. I mean, Pauline can emphasize on that because you would have been on tour when uh, Tom was around as well. Yeah, and, and Kelly really looked up to Tom a lot. And you could tell that when Kelly was first on tour that he 
he would always, like he almost had a little bit of his style as well and he'd be picking his ear for things. So I just really hope that Kelly also shares his knowledge because he's been there so long he doesn't want to share it around too much. But um, just how much he knows is just that that information is so valuable and, um, yeah, I really hope he goes into doing some kind of um, giving back with coaching or, or something like that. Look, I'm sure when he retires from the tour at 75, he'll be incredibly generous with his knowledge. But until then, yeah, isn't that the truth? I just cannot wait until he's 75 years old and just this, you know, shrunken sultana of a man getting stand tall pits. It's going to be that weird. Shuffling down the beach with a Zimmer frame and just tossing it on the rocks and packing stand tools. Pretty piss weak, if you ask me. He's talking to Hog before. When, um, when they had the ACC and um, who come through them ranks were like uh, Richie Lovett, you know, Jake Patterson and just how much of a stepping stone that was for them to get on the tour. And, then, you know, they had amazing careers in surfing. And, you know, it's from these events at a level <coughs> that we can actually groom the younger kids to be able to have the experience to go to that next level. Yeah, and I think that's why also Brazil is, like you said, about that whole teams thing. And I just see, like, Silvana Lima, she doesn't stop posting one contest after another. So they've got so many events over in Brazil. It's uh, really important, definitely, to get behind the nation. Uh, get back on protection, you mate. Nick Vasicek, the local goofy foot lord. One of the best ever out here backside, wouldn't you have to say, Dingo? I mean, he's surely in that combo. Yep, he's definitely one of the best goofy footers out here or if not the best like you know ox um you know just watching ox even these days he's just his movement body movement and where he surfs in the wave is still you know it's still unbelievable and you just you see that genius come through whenever he takes off on a wave you know damon harvey's always a standout out here and you know it's just it's beautiful to watch and you know they looked up to guys like neil purchase jr and um you know the barrel riding that he done back then is you know even these days i watch footage of him and he just stays in the tube from you know out of the point all the way down the bottom and he just on that inside rail his techniques it, it, it's just flawless and um you know i with backhand tube riding and in, in a smaller ways i don't there wasn't too many better you know and I've seen a lot of similarities when the, at, um, at restaurants with, uh, with Bruce Irons, similar to what, uh, you know, what Neil Purchase was doing. Yeah, and it's like they can control the wave and they just stay in the barrel forever. Pretty piss weak, if you ask me. What's your read on uh, Hedgy surfing these days? I felt like, you know, his time on tour was incredible. I felt like he, in, I mean, he spent a lot of time in the top 10, but I still felt like he underachieved in some ways. I felt like he should have been you know, more in that world title conversation for a longer period of time. Obviously had some um, troubles with, you know, alcohol and whatnot. Um, and then went through that rehab kind of process, which he was talking about. He's very open about that. Come back, just surfing maybe better than he'd ever surfed. Yeah, and you can see the enthusiasm in him now. You know, he's like a, he's still like a, you know, a teenager. And I think it's just that and just wanting to surf all the time, that he's just gotten better. And, and he, has a, he has a wisdom now to, um, to be able to compete against these guys. So, mate, you know, he's still probably one of the most dangerous guys in the draw. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's so true. And 
like you said, he's such a wise man. You know, I guess when you go through the ringer or you go to hell and back, you come back with a whole lot of, if you can survive that journey, you come back with a whole lot of wisdom uh, and you just become an invaluable source of inspiration for a lot of people. And I think he's tapping that vein. He's just in such a great place in his life. Beautiful little daughter, Summer, um, living up here at Pottsville. He's able to connect with you guys. Uh, which must be great for all you guys that have each other. Um, you know, you, you went through so much on tour together. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe you can talk us through the dynamic, like, uh, of what it's like. You know, you guys are all family men now, but uh, do you guys still catch up a fair bit? Mate, I do, and Hog's been a huge inspiration for me over the last few years. You know, um, I had my own struggles as well, and so having someone like Hog there who's, you know, been sober for 10 years and then, like, seeing my struggles and then giving me a bit of a, you know, a rope to life. And just seeing, you know, having conversations with him, you know, because Hog even yesterday, he said, um, you know, I, I can't be told anything. I've got to live through it. And he's lived through it, through the dark times, come out the other side, a better human. And, that, and, that, and how inspiring that is for people like me to be able to grasp onto that and go, well, he's done it. You know, you know maybe I can look at myself internally and, uh, you know, fight my demons for why I've done things that I have and I think you know once you have that understanding of yourself you you see other people who are going through the same thing and, and you can just you can share your story and it helps them get through whatever whatever they will oh, incredible man now you're both an inspiration and the, the, the transparency and vulnerability that you've both shown in sharing your journey it's uh you know you've saved countless lives I'd imagine from that so it's a credit to you both uh, for being so open and honest about it all. I mean, it's such a common path. So many people, so, so many people experience uh, troughs and valleys in life like that, especially through that, uh, that pro tour year that you guys were on. It, it was such, you know, we had like Fosters and Corona sponsoring the events and just like, it was just this endless piss up. So, uh, <laughs> mate, it claimed a lot of people, uh, but not everyone's been kind of honest about those demons. So, yeah, it's a credit to both of you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just to mention that Corona ad, it would all start out, you know, the sun was showing in the background, the sun was going down. <laughs> it would start out like that, but then a couple of days later, it was, uh, the wheels are coming off the billy cart. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't the best vision after that. They forgot to show that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Only show the sun setting. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's good. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. This house ain't no home. Yeah, get it, India. We're going to India. He's just. What's 30 years experience you know hog was he was a he was a protege like he was getting covers in that but when he was 14 years old and you know he was on the search and he was he was you know already just groomed to be on the pro tour <laughs> mate you talk about a baptism of fire going on the bloody rip curl searches with Davo and current in the bloody early 90s wow yeah. uh i understand he was the 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 what they call it, the, the master of the sacrament for Curran. Oh, let's just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> On those uh, early boat trips, he's got some hilarious stories, getting ripped out of school by Sonny Miller in his school uniform, going, mate, uh, how would you like to go on a uh, trip to remote, uh, what was it, the Tellers or something? I don't know, Bawa, like just wild, wild stuff. So bizarre. 
So, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> it's unsurprising how it all kind of panned out. Surfing was so <laughs> rock and roll. How about that one he got at Kira a few years back, the hog dog? Remember that thing, that crazy big kind of greeny brown turbo wedge off remember that thing it was so skits it was just like uh yeah you just come screaming out it was one of the the roundest ones i can ever remember seeing out there it was such a wild pit he's uh he's read on hollow waves whether it's chopes or kira backside frontside he's an absolute beast in waves of mortal conequence the tenant chopes <laughs> yeah. onshore kind of just chandeliery death trap knifed it come out fizzing fizzing out of his skull <laughs> it all goes back to them first years and them search trips so that kind of mold you to surf good wave to surf hollow waves and you know being able to be with the best surfers in the world like tom curran chris davidson frankie oberholzer i mean what that does to a kid and how it grooms him later on in life to look at a wave and surf a wave good it's just invaluable Absolutely, yeah. We're talking about it off air, me and Hog. Just, uh, you know, he remembers winning his first bit, bit of prize money. I think mean, he, he stomped a big floater at a, a team's tag team challenge up here at D-Bar. And just the boost of confidence that gave to him as a kid, you know, that immediately, that self-belief and confidence, that validation puts you a little bit ahead of the, the curve. He's just, there's so much freedom in what he does, Hog. And uh, it's, it's great to see. It's such a beautiful, quintessentially Australian style of surfing too. You know, he doesn't try and do aerials. He, I love his, his era too, like kind of riding slightly bigger boards and just belting it. Like, it's just such a savage, incredible style of surfing. And I don't think anyone's really come close to doing it again with his unique style and energy. So sick, so original. And yeah, just going back to those, uh, you know, just getting that validation as a grommet and then getting the, the call up to those search trips, as you were saying, Ding, like, mate, you can't imagine what that would do to a 14, 15 year old brain. I mean, sure, yeah, you're going to pick up some, probably some bad habits along the way, but uh, there's also going to be some really good ones when it comes to pure surfing and just self belief and confidence. I mean, from that point on, you are just on another planet compared to kids your age. You're in another realm, you're on a path for greatness, that's for sure. Yeah, that's so true. And, uh, you know, it's, it's invaluable, mate. Love the man. Love his surfing. Mental. You know, it's just, I feel like a froth and grow. I'm almost 43, but I feel like I'm 13. So it just, it's just the best feeling. Hey. Here we go. A little highlights package of Connor from up there at Noosa Heads. Yeah, he's just got that real athletic ability to kind of pull out anything, Connor Lyons. He's great in the air. He has uh, great knowledge on the wave. And, um, you know, I, I know that uh, about a, about three months ago, he went and done the Vipassana thing where it was a 10-day silence. So Holy crud, that is, that's such an intense... Oh, wow. Having them, how old is he, this, this kid? Mate, he's only 19. Wow. This is so, so interesting to see uh, meditation and stuff like that come into vogue in, in such a big way. And I'd have to credit the likes of Tom Carroll with you know, bringing it into the, the mainstream consciousness. But... Man, I've had a couple mates go down that route, and uh, it is harrowing. Yeah, and it's just that understanding what your mind, when you're under pressure, that you kind of, you know, it, you can't listen to it. It's, you know, you got to, the preparation has to be done before you get in the heat, so you actually can react in that time, because, you know, when you're trying to think your way through a heat, you're not open to the unknown and actually letting the genius come through. 
So interesting, yeah. Just keeping your, your thoughts at bay and just tapping into your, your pure instincts. Uh, and not to mention just giving your central nervous system a breather. Like uh, that was one of the things Hedgie uh, told me. Yeah, just the ability to, to kind of reset and uh, get all the noise out of your head. I mean, Dingo, talk to us about, that was definitely one of uh, the things that kind of bothered you during your career, just not being able to shut the noise down. What would it have been like if you had to have the tools of meditation and stuff like that back then? Until you actually live through it and compete at the highest level and understand what it's like to surf against the best guys in the world, like surfing against a goat, surfing against Andy, and then competitive minds and trying to get the best out of yourself, you... What? Okay. Sorry, I thought we went to the interview then. Okay, well, I'll come back to that. Smivy, what comes to your mind when I say Bender Mender? I think of long, drawn-out piss-ups and goog-fests at Churchill's in Kensington, <laughs> at uh, Judgment Bar in Taylor Square, at, uh, you know, just park life, all those kind of early noughties festivals when I was just still just scoffing white yes. doves like they were Ferrero Rochers, Vaughn. <laughs> and what do you think of when I say... Siberian pine needles. What's the first sensation that runs oh, through your body? Tingles, just tingles. Tingles like the finest in Japanese acupuncture. Uh, the finest shakti mat. <laughs> just the most mm, special alternative therapies that the universe can conjure up and send spine needling down your spine. Oh. <laughs> and what have I told you? That Dr. V energy drinks are disrupting the global energy drink category with a healthy alternative made from unique herbs used by Russians to boost energy, stamina, and immunity. Used by Russians. I'd say they've got to ship a few cartons to the Ukraine. Stat! Mate, Dr. V, they've come on board with Ain't That Swell. Uh, we've mentioned them at the top of the show, but we're going to do it again here because... They're the healthy alternative to on the energy drink market. They are all sorts of concoctions, four different flavors, producing health, productivity, and wellness, mate. The range includes Brainstorm for faster, clearer thinking when you need to be on point, Siberian Rush, the pre-body workout lube to get the pistons firing, Bender Mender for faster recovery from what you said, huge gook doofs, <laughs> and uh, of course, Karma Karma for a gentle energy lift when you're feeling a bit fragile. No artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives, or synthetic herbs. This is the real deal, mate. Yes, that's right, Vaughn. It's a healthy alternative in an otherwise toxic, poisonous energy drink market. And I, for one, welcome it, Vaughn. I welcome it into my body like a cool gust of Siberian air, like a, like a red-hot Russian scud right up your cornhole. Fully in, not fully out, but fully in <laughs> to help revitalize, energize, boost immunity and heal all my chakras and kundalini gooch spots. Oh, it's magic, mate. Get on the website, drv.com.au, D-O-C-T-O-R-V.com.au and get 15% off with the Swellian code, Swellian. 15% off from drv.com.au. Do it now. <laughs> wow, we are wall-to-wall -wall with surfing icons here. Uh, joined by Dean Dingo Morrison, one of his early mentors, Robert Bartholomew on the mic. Dingo, uh, but yeah, just going back to what you were saying before, mate. 
having the, the mental coping mechanisms to come up against the likes of Andy and Kelly Slater and, and just how difficult that was. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's, um, you know, Mick and Joel were there with me from the start. And um, it's just being able to get freedom within when you're competing. And it's freedom from actually overthinking. You know, you, can, you can't overthink it. You've got to react. And that brings out, lets your genius come through, which allows you to surf the best that you can. And that's, in, with in competitive surfing, that's, that's a hard bit. But it all comes down to your preparation as well of being able to know that you've done everything you can. I spoke to Darren Lockyer about it once before, about how he, you know, I said, mate, I was got to watch the AFL Grand Final with him. And I just asked him, I said, mate, what would happen if you made a mistake? He goes, Dingo, it's fucking done. Because you move on, you know? And then... I think it's more like, he would have said, it's, it's fucking done! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yeah. But it just means that you're not dwelling on it, on the mistake, you're looking forward, and you're playing your 80 minutes. You know, and that's so important to, to be able to... You, you're unknown, you've got to make mistakes, we're human. But just to be able to get to that place of not knowing and just surfing the best that you can, because that's all you have control over. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, coming up through the, the rugby league development systems, you have so much coaching and wisdom kind of forced on you. But uh, surfing, especially during your you know, reign, didn't really have that kind of structure to it. Uh, I mean, nowadays, coaches are... I mean, do you, what was this, the setup back in those days in terms of coaching, mentorship, uh, you know, who was helping you along the way? Did you get a lot of advice and, and stuff like that, good advice? Mate, I did. So, Rab was... He was there to guide me from an early age. And then, um, you know, that wisdom that I learned from them prepared me onto the QS, onto the, the championship tour. And um, having someone like that guide me was, uh, was invaluable. I think, you know, once I got on the tour, I think Kelly actually seen me and Rab uh, having a conversation before the first event. And he come up and blew up and said, this is not fucking on. You cannot do this. And then from then, Rab really had to watch what he, what he said within my job. But, he, you know, he would check in, you know, after every event and, and we'd have a little debrief in that. But we, he, it kind of really separated us that, you know, actually you can't run the tour and actually coach someone. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but, you know, just with that one, and that was amazing because, I mean, I, I knew that would happen. And, 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 you know, it was like the gnarly thing is that you, you never kind of moved on. Like, you, you, you never really got another coach. And you kind of did it on your own, and um, it was it was hard, I thought, because we worked together for ten years, and then I started running ASP, and that was the end of that, really. Yeah. Um, and and that very first event when you, it was, you were against Pedersen Rosa or something, and, and and Kelly came up and said, "You got a something," and he said, "Do you reckon that was a seven? He said, "It was like, I'm watching you," <laughs> and it was like I went, "Wow, this is gnarly," you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Wow, that is a wild, wild insight. That is so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, you, you guys have such a tight and storied relationship in ways that Slater could never even comprehend. Um, you know, to just think that Bugs, you could, uh, you know, cold shoulder Dingo at that stage of his career is, is completely unrealistic. But, yeah, you had such an immense responsibility yeah. running the ASP at that point. But it was also the, it was the arrival of Mick and Joel and Dean. They, they, you know, the, the three amigos all arrived, and, and they were a threat. I mean, and, but they came at a time when, when Andy and Kelly were dominating the world. They were kings of the world. And they, they, it was an amazing time, really. 
It really was. I mean, what was your bird's eye view of that period, Bugs, mm. watching it all transpire? You know, how did these guys differ as athletes and in their approaches? Well, I mean, um, you know, I think Dino pointed out before, look, it, it took the guys from here um, until they were like in their mid-20s at least before they could really take on Pipeline Chopu. Um, whereas Andy was born in those kind of waves and Kelly was at you know, spent so much time on the North Shore and, and he was just so good. Um, and and so they were just so supreme. I mean, you know, we built the Dream Tour and those guys put it on the map. That's, that's really what it was. And then they, you had this young crew coming through, the th these three guys from Coolangatta, and it, it was just at a very dynamic time, you know? Yeah, such different approaches, raised in such different environments. Slater in the marginal waves of Florida, Andy in the consequential waves of Kauai and then you guys on this you know uber refined point break although of a really technical tube behind the rocket snapper which will you know that'll set you up to surf most hollow waves on the planet but yeah such different approaches different attitudes completely different environments that you were all raised in yeah it was mate and there, I, I think it was it was probably it probably took us about five years till we actually um started getting results at them spots and um I think once we once Mick and Joel and that starting get results there then they were, you know, they were threatening for the world title, but it wasn't until then that they were actually that in the running. Hope you get the lot, you dog. So let's talk about what heat management is, Rab, and how important it is competing in a 20-minute frame. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's beautiful with priority, I mean, but it's still, you, you know, you've got to go with the flow of the ocean. You know, you've got to read it, whether it's going to be a pumping heat. Sometimes it's that one-on, one-off heat. Pretty piss weak, if you ask me. All right, bit of a shift change here. Yeah, I'm going to welcome... Dino uh, called it. I'm going to sub out for my loyal co-host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor of Surfing World magazine, Tracks magazine and Waves magazine, Vaughn Rinsed Corn. Deadly welcome to the mic, my friend. Hey. Yes, Mitty. Thanks, Mimi. Ah, great chats there with uh, Bugs and Dingo. G'day, fellas. Hey, oh, mate. How dreamy is this? Yeah, oh. so, so cool. Xavier Huxtable, I think the main reason why he made such, <laughs> made the absolute most out of that last wave. It's because La Nina down in uh, Vico has been an absolute shocker. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Victorians are feeling pretty ripped off uh, when they've just been sitting there watching one of the great Hawaiian seasons we've ever seen. And then the East Coast has just been relentlessly getting pumped with oh. uh, really beautiful clean swell. Yeah. And this bank, guys, like, give us a bit of context. I mean, you guys have done more surfing here than anyone. It's been here forever. Well, the thing is that it's actually built over the last 24 hours. It's connected. Yesterday, I saw it happening. A lot of sand coming around. We had the, we had a really strong, uh, you know, south to north rip coming around, and then we had the second half was a the escalator reverse rip happening, and and that just built the bank and groomed it. Now I had a feeling today was going to look like this. Hard to sleep at night when you know that the bank's going to fill in. Yeah. And you know you got a little southwesterly puffing up in the morning. Yeah, it, it did all have, it had all the ingredients for a classic Sunday at Snapper. It's uh, just a classic Sunday uh, on the Australian East Coast. Everyone waking up this morning with uh, big results in the tennis bugs. I know you would have been watching that with a keen eye, being yeah. a mad tennis tragic. Yeah, I'm a tragic and, uh, yeah, I love it, Ash Barty. What, a, what an awesome... Uh, Achievement. It was great to see uh, Kathy Freeman there and Yvonne Gulagong. Uh, they're amazing human beings, and um, you know I got to meet both of them, and they're, they're beautiful, really, really amazing people. Yeah, huge achievement for Ash Barty there. That's three of the four Grand Slams. Yeah, 
Uh, she might get a career slam this year if uh, everything goes to plan. It's always good to wake up with a couple of big Aussie victories in the back pocket. Makes you feel good about life, doesn't it? <laughs> it? And you can just see when, um, when Ash Barty, when she's playing tennis, there's no thought going into it. You know, it's just all reaction. She's, she, she knows how to do it. She doesn't get engulfed by what on the stage. You know, she, she put that away last night. And it was just, as a competitor, Ab, can you go into them, into what it takes to, to find that space? Flow state, yeah. I'd like to know, Bugs, just on top of what Dingo was saying, we're about to see this, you know, groundbreaking moment in women's sport uh, with the, the women attacking Pipeline for the first time in a, in a full-length CT-level competition. What will a win like Ash Barty's do for the Australian girls in particular who are surfing in that event because they're all pretty tight with Ash. She hangs out with Tyler and Steph. She knows them all. Do you think they'll take some confidence into that? Would you get inspired by, you know, the uh, victories of your favourite sporting heroes when you're on tour? Well, I, I, look, I, I, I would for sure, uh, but I, I do think that front and centre of their mind is a place called the Banzai Pipeline. Yeah. And I think that's a big, big challenge for the women surfers. I mean, January... It's been a big January, and January is the biggest month of the season in Hawaii. Uh, and the West Swell's coming in uh, consistently. It's like, are we going to get that nice four to six foot backdoor day that they would be looking forward to? I mean, taking on full-throated 12-foot Banzai Pipeline is a major, major challenge, I've got to tell you. Big time, big time. Uh, on average, it's, it's, uh, ten, it's supposed to be in January. The swell is supposed to be 10 feet on average. That's so. right. Yeah. And, the, and you oh. get some Januarys where the swell is 20 feet average. You know. Mate, I remember uh, in your book, Busting Down the Door Bugs, your first trip to Hawaii and, um, you know, sleeping under the trees on the beach. With and, MP. Oh, and just the, that so feeling. Good. That was the best trip I've ever had in my life. Feeling the bedrock shaking, yeah, you know, when you're, right. when you're in the house and understanding that the power that you're about to experience before you've even seen it, You've already got that energy in your bones. And we'd already, and we just surfed six foot, Australian style, six to eight foot sunset point the day before and thought we'd just, and thought we'd surf Killed Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the boards in the, in the rafters, Al Chapman's boards were shaking that night. I went, hang on, there's an earthquake. You guys have spent a lot of time at Pipeline Backdoor, uh, that little stretch of reef. Uh, I heard you just saying with Smithy before, you know, like the amount of time you've got to put in there to get comfortable, to start getting the set waves. What are these women going to be going through in the lead up to this? You know, especially after a day like we saw today where it's just not a drop out of, out of place, but absolutely terrifying, consequential yeah. surf. Oh, I saw it to Stephanie Gilmore uh, about three weeks ago and, and she had some concerns, um, you know, that, see, it's, you know, there's certainly girls like Tatiana and, um, and Carissa will, will charge pretty good. But, um, and, and Steph's an incredible tube rider and, and you know, uh, it, it's kind of like being born here, you can learn to do the late takeoffs, right, Dino, and, and pull in. And the tube rider, the shape of the wave's kind of pretty similar, mm. uh, but it's just that ferocity. I mean, you know, you, you can't, there is no substitute for this being in the lineup and, and, and like seeing a boil over here and, and understanding what that means in relation to where the set's coming and... You know, you can see another beach with a coach, but being in that in that zone, right, Dino? Yeah. There is no substitute. That's right, and you see it all the time because plenty of people charge, but there's a difference between charging and having an intimate relationship with a wave. Well, that's it. It's understanding a lineup there, seeing where the swells are, having your 
you know, your spot where you can line up and you know you've gotten good waves. And that takes time. I mean, that takes decades to be able to go out there and know that what's going to happen before it actually comes in. And you see the great guys out there like Kelly. He's just so on out there. You know, John, like that preparation they've done before they're in the pipe masters, that, that's decades. Decade. And it's not just a matter of getting a, a landmark, is it? I mean, there is so much. Oh. And, and knowing what it, what it looks like when, they, when those waves the big, on the big days hit those outer reefs. And, and so where that's coming through, that takes so long to know and put yourself in that zone. It's like a, a paella. It's got that many ingredients. Yeah. There's just stuff going in that you've never even heard of before. Vegetables and meats and <laughs> sauces and everything. And it makes a pretty tasty concoction if you know how and, to make it. And, <laughs> and, and, I mean, there is the other factor, and that is that uh, it's, it is hard to practice out there now. I mean, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a pecking order, then you've got a sort of another layer around, around that. And, um, you know, I mean, so... You know, the, the, the women haven't spent a lot of time at Pipe. I mean, when, last year when, when it got moved from Honolulu Bay um, to Pipeline, I mean, I think Sally said that's the first time she'd ever paddled out there in her life, mm. which I was surprised. I thought, gee, at least you'd go out there on a, those three to five foot days and just sort of familiar yourself, familiarise yourself. Loving every minute of it. Xavier Huxtable there, just uh, getting it done in pretty spectacular style and just absolutely gobbling up the uh, waves on offer after a dismal Victorian summer so far. Was, I heard the boys on the Lip podcast, they were absolutely freaking. They couldn't wait to kick La Nina in the butt, get rid of it. Oh, yeah, well, I know. Well, it, it's often said that when it's pumping in Queensland, it's shocking uh, down yeah. there, and, and it can be vice versa, well, I guess, but... You know, I, I saw it, it was Zavi in that last wave. He was feeling it in his legs. And, and snapper is a different challenge. It really is. I mean, especially if you've got the runaround involved as well. We haven't seen so much of that today, but it, it's, well, a, it's a big workout. I, 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 two or three comps come to mind when you think about the leg-burning aspects here. The one that you won, Dingo, I think that was yep. like a, that was a four rounds to get to the finals. I remember yep. you and Oki, and it was just steep and asking a question, like how hard are you going to hit me or or belt me, or carve down on me, and it just kept setting up. You blokes must have done 80,000 Rios on, on that day. I know. I remember going back out on the ski and how my legs were just like rock because it was just so intense. You know, I'd just been surfing a wave and then jump trap back on the ski, and then I'd get another one and another one. And I had like four heats that day. And then in the final, I remember I was just so cramped up, and I was like, look, you just got to get through this next 20 minutes. Like, just give me that. And there, and there was no, there, and on that day, there, there was no real barrels to hide in. No. It was all work. Yeah. <laughs> it was, mate. And uh, the one impressive turn, the one that stands out for me, is on your best scoring wave in the final, and it was a carb down. It really cleavered that thing. Big, thick section, and it was just, you know, one of those turns that you come out of with more speed than you go into. That must have just felt like. I don't know, dropping the clutch on a Formula One race car or something. <laughs> Mate, it did. It was, it, but, you know, I, I started the heat really well. I, I, I had uh, two nines up to that point, I think, and it just allowed me to get freedom. And I was just, by then, I was just, you know, I was just in the zone. And I, I got the wave, and it all just kind of come together. And that's what we're kind of talking about is heat management, is being able to get yourself in that space where you're just reacting to the, to, the, um, to the wave. And that's when you can let that genius come through and allow yourself to have freedom and surf the best that you can. 
And there's Mitch Parkinson doing the run around. See, that's a run. You see, he's so used to the fitness. The different fitness here is that you still got to, you got to run and still have something left in your legs to do nine turns on the next wave. It uh, asks a lot, snapper rock, especially at this size. You've uh, you got to generate your speed. I guess uh, Felipe Toledo comes to mind in those years where uh, he finished first and second to Wilco. Oh, the, the amount of energy he was, uh, you know, putting into every single turn, it, it sort of changed the game a little bit. Like, I mean, Mick is pretty famous for, for coming out here and doing that style of surfing, but the variety and just the... Uh, he just was indefatigable. That's what it was. He just kept going and going and going. Amazing to see uh, that sort of approach and that sort of energy brought to this lineup. His legs must have been pretty much just biltong by the end of those comps, I reckon. Well, you got to, you're running on a bit of adrenaline too, eh, Dino? I mean, you, you know, you got you can you can always dig in a bit deeper when you got that first prize check waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, through that, I mean, the checks are. They're a little bit better than the first five bucks you got handed for your first expression session, Bugs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Top end are uh, doing pretty well for themselves these days, especially if you win a CT. But uh, this is a great comp for prize money. Every single surfer in the event gets uh, gets yeah. to go home with a, yeah, a little right. something. A little something. A little and, package of money. And uh, also, mate, uh, as we spoke about, just the way that the Usher Cup, the Usher Group, has been able to use this as a platform to give back to the community and organisations and charities that really make a huge difference to this area, you know, uh, creating positive and meaningful change, whether it's for animals, whether it's for victims of domestic violence, whether it's for just people who, you know, might be uh, too elderly to get out and about. It's just, there's almost no stone unturned. Mitch Parkinson, I just don't even know if you can overstate how underground and how good this guy surfs. I've seen him everywhere, mate, from uh, the Vulcan Pipe Pro where he's just packing full proper first reef, double up eight to ten foot mutants and then turning up in, you know, like uh, the Tweed Coast Pro Bugs where it was one foot barely breaking and he was throwing full rotators into the flats. Yeah, he was looking like the guy uh, to beat in that one for a, a long way. And I think if he'd actually won it, he would have got onto the Challenger Series. So it was that close. He would have had some decisions to make too because he was working and yeah. just sort of mucking around on that regional qualifier. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think if he'd tried a bit harder earlier, he would have easily made it. Get back on protection, you mark. Joel Vaughan uh, just coming back from a big stint in Hawaii where I don't know if you saw the footage, boys, but he was properly giving it a crack over there. I saw him go down on a couple of big old wobbly beach park double-ups. Uh, just sort of floating down the beach and electing to sort of have a crack where there wasn't so many people, which can work for you. can work against you, though. It's nowhere near as perfect down there. Yeah, and I've seen them paling out some big days of pipe in the mornings, you know, and that made me stoked uh, they were putting in that preparation, you know, because he's around that, what, about 16, 17? And it's just that preparation that you put in now so when you get to that world tour that you, you have enough information to actually know how to surf a heat out there. How's the grom head on Hugh Vaughan? How's his actual just cranium? It is the most iconic Australian grommet-looking head you've ever seen. I got a word for you. Gone. Can you use it in a sentence? Go and get fucked. I always marvel at just how these big bodies can fit into these tiny little, you know, steep, sucked-up little pockets. Yeah. And you see... Like guys like Geordie Smith, John John, they're tall guys. And it's just, they get so much more spring 
and drive when they when they actually go low they get they get that extension that they really use their body to their advantage i'd love to get your guys take on john john just at the moment i think uh, the past two hawaiian seasons it's been building but i just don't think anyone has ever surfed better than this hawaiian season what he's been doing over there well i was thinking one thing i, I was thinking like you know we saw that surfing you did at, at margaret river on the on the rights then I've been watching this footage of him at Sunset Beach, and he has taken that carved into a whole nother level. I mean, to do that at Sunset Beach, that that is unbelievable what he's doing out there. It's it's to, to be able to hold your line bugs and carve from the top of Sunset to the bottom. I mean, you used to have to stand there and wait for the thing for you know eight seconds sometimes. So he's just like driving through it. Driving, you know, it's it's something to see. I mean. You know, if, you know, starting the tour in his backyard with uh, piped at sunset. Wow. <laughs> I remember one time, uh, Snapper was, you know, traditionally kick off for the world tour for a long, long time. Ah, uh, geez, 20 years at least, eh? Or maybe even longer. Well, I mean, when you you go all the way back to the Bur Stubbies of Burley, I mean, it's traditionally started here on the Gold Coast. And I remember uh, sitting up here in the competitors area one time. Uh, it was sort of in that, in your era, Dingo. Might have been, even been at that event 2003 and... I just overheard a, a lot of the American guys kind of blowing up that Australia had this really big advantage, home court advantage leading into the tour. Because for a while there, people who were leading the ratings after Bells would just go on and win the world title. That was kind of a thing. And I remember hearing Kalani Robb say, like, well, let's uh, move it to Hawaii and have the first comp of the season at Rocky Lefts and see who's leading the ratings after the first event. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But I'll tell you one thing, though, Vaughan, and I think this event really uh, plays it out. Snapper Rocks brings out the best in everyone surfing, like everyone's. For sure. I mean, it's so rippable. It's so perfect. It's hard to complain. I guess it's just that when you've got the coolie kids... <laughs> you know, uh, the best surfers yeah. in a generation, and you happen to accidentally fall into that. Yeah, yeah, true. Into that gen, it's a hard one to cop. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll go with that one. <laughs> but yeah, John, the surfing that he's been doing in Hawaii is next level. I mean, from 30 foot to two foot. Like, um, you know, even when it's 30 foot, I was hanging with Jamie Mitchell, and he was saying that day out at uh, Himalayas, because mate, he was the best surfer in the world. You know, and then and then you you see, you know, uh, at at sunset when he's just doing the biggest carbs and how hard, as being a surfer and how hard that actually is to keep your speed, let alone gain speed through the whole thing. It's just, it's unfathomable. And then what he's been doing at Haleiwa. Then at Haleiwa. That's, that's just a full rewrite of the book, isn't it? Right there. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I think most people, when they first saw that first turn that he unleashed in last year's Triple Crown, that really was like, oh, my God, we're, we actually all need to make a huge performance leap here because that was unseen. Yeah, and that wave that he got in the final, that 10, I was sitting down there watching that final, and it was an inside wave that anyone else in that final would have got a four on. He took off, done the biggest turn, then hacked into the tube, and then come out and done a huge air. Like, it was, it was just... It was unbelievable. And like you were saying about Ash Barty, there was not a single thought in his mind. It was pure flow state surfing. Like there was not a, there was just no stress in his body and he just looks so comfortable, man. And I think that that's really the challenge for everyone on this year's tour is they've got to try and find that level of comfort no matter what the surf's doing. Yeah, the flow state. Yeah, well, that's, that is the key. You've got it right there. You know, because that, 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 that's where you're going to be doing your best surfing.
Such an interesting year on tour, fellas. I just, uh, oh, I've never been more fizzed for uh, what's going to play out. I'm absolutely Debo Medina's not there, but you know, obviously needs to take a time out, and good on him for for realising that and and having the uh, the strength and the fortitude to sort of say, nah, I need a time out. But gee whiz, how's the amount of talent and on every level, from your John John resetting the bar to that top four tier or top five that's unbelievable to... Some of those rookies. Well, you, yeah, the rook, the Aussie battler thing and a bunch of rookies there. But even the, the guys like your Callanans, your Ethan Ewings, oh, guys God. who you expect to be in world title combos, they're going to have a rocket up, up them after that Morgs effect. And, and then you've got the, you know, Kanoa Igarashi and, and, and Griffin Colapina, that crew, you know, and Kolohe's back. And they're, they're all primed yeah. to turn the dial, I reckon, Bugs. And... Yeah. Uh, how do you see it playing out? Have you got like a top five or it's just too hectic to call at this stage? You know, the, the gnarly thing is that before the season started, I just couldn't see anyone penetrating those big three Brazilians and John John. I, I couldn't see it. No. Nah. With Medina going, it opens it up a bit. Uh, but I do think that Italo will be there. I think John John will be there. Um, I think Philippe Toledo will be there. I just, I think because of they've got a whole tour to work it through. No, Shagger, you know, it's unbelievable. Changing the game. Speaking of, is the John John of broadcasting, mate? Francis, <laughs> Francis Ford Shagala. <laughs> Francis Ford Shagadelic. <laughs> Mitch Parkins' ability is, you know, he's, he has the ability to be a world-class surfer on the world tour, but just his heat management hasn't isn't up to par with where his ability is. And, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of people... Like, you know, like that Jay Phillips round where he's one of the best surfers in the world, but he's not able to contain himself or get his, the best out of himself in so, that So what you're minutes. really saying is that the equilibrium swung maybe too far to the flow state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what I mean. Like, it's within that individual of finding that flow state, what is it for him? You know, he's, it's in his bloodline. You know, Joel found it. You know, he, he's, the way that he found it was his own individual way how he done it he didn't do it the way mick done it you know joel liked to be more relaxed he liked to have a beer or two you know the night before where he could get away with it because he, he would feel like it would relax him but whereas mick was exact opposite so there's not one set of formula how to get into that state you've got to be able to it's individual that's right and, and it did seem like they're, they're a good comparison because mick seemed like he was ultra analytical and joel was just he could just shake it off and nothing phased him and he could go on the, the ultimate flow state. It was classic hearing Parco say last night that he really struggled to surf against mates. Oh, oh that was the biggest crocker on, dumb that I have ever heard. I've, made, I've seen him paddle me up the point for, a, for a, just a championship board riders, and there's no one around, and he's paddling me up the point. So I, I called absolute dumb on oh, that. Do you, reckon he's, do you reckon he's actually, because he's so cruisy, he's so happy, he's loving being here, he's no, loving no. surfing on twinnies. Do you reckon he's just got a different, he's tweaked his own memory to no, fit no. in with where he's at right now? No, I actually think he believes that. <laughs> it's so good. Like, I, I love that, you know, you uh, can attach your, 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 uh, your modern day narrative into, into how, you were, how you were in the past. Oh, you know, it's like, I don't know. I guess it's a bit like my mum. She thinks that she was just the cruisiest mum, but she was always cracking the whip. I know. I, know. That, that was, I mean, how many times he beat Mick, you know? And the, but I think Hoggy just had one up on him, and he had to just pretend that it was for some hey. other reason rather than losing a heat. One of the things I find absolutely fascinating about pro surfing is that 
the most unlikely person can have the wood on you. You can beat, you can be a world champion over and over and over, but just one guy is your kryptonite. Who was yours, Dingo? My kryptonite. Oh, I mean, I know Kai Otten. He got me a fair bit. He was. You know, he just knew exactly what to do. There, there was no stone unturned. He, he was going to get the best out of his ability in the heat, and he was going to be on the best waves. And he got me a fair bit where, in conditions that were in my favour. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like I was like that with Andy. You know, like my, you know he, I won a lot more heats against Andy than he did with me. And, uh, you know, his ability was, uh, was beyond what I, I could do on a surfboard. So. Well, the all-time, the all-time, you and Andy Heat, where he thought he had you on wood is when he comes out and just shotgun blasts you in the face yeah. at Chopes and you end up getting him. Yeah, and that's um, he, he was picking a bone with me from the year before when I got him as well. I got him in the same round, um, you know, a year before and he really, you know, Andy really held grudges in competition. He, he really wanted to get me in that heat and uh, we come up against each other in the same round a year later and, um, you know, I... It, it's two. It's best two waves in a heat, and uh, he, you know, he he got that really good wave at the end. He got he got a nine eight, but I already had an eight for a backup, and then I got the wave before, which was I knew was another really good score, and uh, he come out shotgun. I went, mate, be careful. I said I got a good wave, <laughs> <laughs> and then it, they read out the score, and, and I beat him, and it was just oh, he was just devastated. Oh, you gotta tell me, did he say anything to you? Oh, of course he did. God, that, it didn't stop there. <laughs> it was you know, he he was he was. Uh, he wore his heart on his sleeve, and he, he let me know about about, oh, about eight months later we were out uh, at a party, and he, he he let me know what he thought. That's for sure. Well, I was working on my farm about 1982. I mean, I'm expecting Sheldon to qualify next year. I don't see any reason why he can't. He's uh, such a you know dynamic surfer, really clean. Just love that polish. But being able to add a bit of X factor and a bit of spice to your turns, you know, it's one thing to crack the lip. It's another thing to crack it, release the board, do a little board slide. You know, add a little bit of. Uh, Add a little bit of spice to that carry. Well, the ability's there, and that's what we're we've been, um, you know, emphasising on that. You know, it's it's beyond the ability. It's been able to set that twenty minute heat and uh, and surf a great heat. And hey, that's... Uh, Rocky Rawlings just joined us in the commentary booth, Dingo. Uh, both yeah. of you guys, uh, along with Bugs, our other commentator, all stars, cover stars of surfing world over the years. Yeah. Um, who's got the most covers out of you three? Well, I've got one. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there's uh, Rabbit's got quite a few more. Yeah, I think Rabbit. Uh, we did a poll once. We cl we counted all. What do you I think got, Rabbit's got something like six covers, maybe even more. Of surfing world. Surfing world, yeah. Mate, I I don't know. Have I got one? Yeah, you got a couple. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just a dad these days, mate. It's, it's all, <laughs> it's all that, that was a different life. I'm a, you know, it's not 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's you know, that's when I get my time to well, go surfing or whatever. It's different now, isn't it? Like, getting a cover was such a big deal. Like, I mean, man, right up until maybe only five years ago, it still was just a massive feather in your cap. Yeah, it really was. And I remember Bruce and Hugh, uh, you know, calling me up and saying, hey, we've got something special to tell you. You're on the next cover. I'm going, really? Why and when? And it was actually over at Debo. I was riding an MR board. And, and uh, ironically, it's just... I. I actually busted the fins out. I think I came unstuck, but I, I claimed it. It's a I great, it. it's a great shot. <laughs> it's futuristic, man. Yeah, yeah, you do claim it. You take it, and yeah, stake too. I think uh, I think you were the editor of Waves, maybe when I got my first cover. I think uh, that was a huge deal for me. Like I actually remember seeing, and I just felt how stoked I was and how proud. And you know, I got like a little tear jerk up because you know I just 
I'd seen all my heroes on covers and, and that's how we used to connect is read the stories and, and see what was going on through the world. Was um, yeah, That was a special moment in, in my surfing I'm career for sure. I can think of two that I gave you. You had a, a backside floater at Chopes and a, a frontside alley-oop from the bicycle trip. Yep. Oh, two of them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you and Mick and Joel, gee whiz, talk about magazine hogs. <laughs> Between the three of you, you killed about 18 old-growth rainforests down in Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> Just soaking up magazine pages left, right and centre. Well, Kobe, I mean, Kobe was a... He was the most photographed surfer in the world there for a lot of years, you know. Mm. And uh, just surfing some amazing waves. And, you know, these days it's, it seems like the surfing industry, it's, it's harder to make a living out of surfing, I think. What do you think, mate? Oh, for sure. There was just that golden run pre-GFC where grommets, you know, 15, 16-year-olds were on 16, I mean, six figure contracts <laughs> but i uh, know they were sort of glory days i suppose but at the same time you know like that coin it, it doesn't always work out it doesn't always feed into success the way that you think it is it's way better to have us uh, these sorts of uh, programs in place where you, you're encouraging good people you know what i mean like and, and that success should be more communal like it like it is now i think there's the surfers on the challenger series a few of them last year were getting crowd support, not sponsorship support, you know. So their hometowns were all kicking in. And uh, look at the extra motivation that gave them going on to the World Tour. And there was a change of uh, strategy, I think, for the magazines too. Obviously, in the, uh, the 70s and early 80s, it was about, you know, the, the, the contest surface or whatnot. But, um, and, and, you know, getting those, those event shots. But then, obviously, the, the search um, came in, the Rip Curl search and um, and you know these these trips to mentalities and the boat trips and the land camps and you know it was all about then escaping through the magazine and getting those uh, those shots of those those um surf like the um the margos we we're talking about before you know just um playing his own tune and be able to get uh, notoriety through his own free surfing which was great it took it away from you know just having all the boards stick it up and having to get those um those uh, sponsor shots down to uh, be able to escape with those guys um you know there, there was uh, you know so many guys uh, you know even uh, that other avenue with josh Kerwin, you know with mm. the aerial assault he didn't have to do the full contest scene anymore yeah, it all just split off into a whole bunch. i, I just yep. marvel mate it's it's so really not acknowledged but uh every year you know when they do the surfing australia hall of fame awards and and they've got different divisions and stuff and uh for for different people to be nominated and I just reckon Margot has to be one of the most under-celebrated people for his contribution to global surfing. Because uh, he was one of the first free surfers um, to really, like, have a huge impact, you know? There'd been guys before him, like Gary yep. Green quit the tour to do those initial search trips, and Curran had obviously quit and, and gone that route as well. But Margot was the first guy to turn it into yep. this, this whole other thing, you know? It was like, it's hard to really explain. It wasn't... A denial of the comp surfing thing. No. It was a whole new path. It was a celebration of surfing. And, and Rasta, of course, doing his bit with, uh, um, you know, yeah. going and, and, and that environmental program and drive. I thought, you know, there, there's so many avenues to surfing. And, and this is this shows exactly what it can be. Also, another avenue of uh, team events, but also, you know, there's charity raising and, and making a difference, you know, putting something back into the community. It's it's an epic thing. What did you make of Margo? You would have been growing up right when he was uh, on 
pure fire. Oh yeah, he was he was still a grommet as I was I was growing, but um, yeah, you could see him blasting out here and D-Bar and the works and, and just going, who is this guy? And, and you know, how good is he? And and it's, uh, you know, he reminded me, you know, you guys, uh, Dino and, and Mick and Joel, you know, I saw you guys just a little tackers out here and, and having fun, you know, pushing each other and having a lot of, you, you can see in those early kids, you know, those ones who've got it and they, they're, they're not over serious. Mm. And, and that's what you guys did so much. You were just having so much fun out there. I love surfing with you guys as grommets. You're just laughing so much and not realising what you were doing with your own surfing, pushing the limits. What do you reckon, Dingo? What did you think of Margot when you first clapped your peepers on him? <laughs> Mate, I mean, it was just phenomenal. Like, you know, we'd go away to them QMT weekends with Billabong and, you know, Margot would be there and he, he was just, like uh, like Rocky said, it, he, he just had that enthusiasm and that funny, he was just a funny guy. But then he'd go out and he's just an absolute genius. You know, you just watch the way he surf and you just go, how does he do that? And it was, you know, like, I remember Sonny saying that if he had my competitiveness, he'd be world champion. That's right, yeah. And I, I always used to laugh my head off because, yeah, on those trips, you, you couldn't believe a bloke could be so clumsy and all over the place on <laughs> land and be so adept in just giant, huge coning surf, you know. And he was just like a giant goofball. And often, even when he was surfing... When he got it right, it was, like you say, genius. It was absolutely mind-blowing. When he got it wrong, almost nobody had more horrendous wipeouts than him. <laughs> he would dead set get himself in positions where he'd, just, he'd be doing like 58 cartwheels down, you know, the face of a, I don't know, 10-foot wave out at uh, log cabins or something, you know what I mean? There came a little bit, he landed on money. He told me he's the last bit there ever was to be. How did good Ethan go in his... Yeah, uh, good, mate. One he? his heat, yep. Yeah, he, he's put a lot of time in a pipe. He he was there before Christmas, so he's been there for six weeks, which I, re- he, I was, he was the only Australian that I've seen do that. I really loved uh, seeing that he was putting his time in out there. What is it that Ethan needs, Dingo? I mean, Smithy and I talk about it on the potty a lot, and the answer seems quite obvious to us. Mongrel! Yep. But, I mean, is it that simple? Because he's got the Mexico clip he dropped, I thought was maybe the best surfing of the year other than, than John John. Yeah, and that's it. And it's, it's all individualised. There's no one there that can give him the form and go, okay, this is what you have to do. This, you know, from do this, this and this. No, he's got to be able to find it in himself, what that actually is. And, you know, you've got to simplify it. Like once he's on a wave, he's, he's going to surf that wave as good as anyone, if not better. And so he's going to get his scores. So, you know, it's just he's got to get them two waves in a heat. I reckon maybe, judging from what we saw in Mexico and just the absolute dismantling of those uh, points, mm. Ethan could just travel with a couple of palm trees and a hammock <laughs> and maybe a little jar of mojitos or, uh, you know, virgin pina coladas or something <laughs> and just, just sleep in the competitor's area in his hammock and just paddle out at the last possible second and just cruise his way to victory. I know. Yep, keep him in the mindset. That's great. Yep, he's obviously happy there in that in that environment. I think it's a good oh statement for Ethan God. to go out in huge, perfect pipe, start his year with a, a really strong performance. But it has to be less common. Like most brothers that you see on tour or getting towards the pointy end of pro surfing, tend to be like the same stance. Now I think of the Hoggoods, the Lopezes. That's uh, all Goofies. The Maccas, both natural footers. 
Uh, Bruce and Andy, obviously, both natural footers. But every now and again, you do get the uh, the reg and the goof. Yeah, I mean, well, the riots, you got Mikey, younger brother. He's, he's natural and goofy. And Tyler, she's natural. So, I mean, I mean, that says, you know, there's a fair few of them that one of them had to be a goofy, didn't they? <laughs> there, was, there was definitely a brother combo on tour that was a reg natural. I mean, a reg goof combo. Michael and Derek. Oh, there you, there you go. Yep. Uncle Mike, Uncle D, RIP. I uh, had the great pleasure just a couple of years ago, Dingo, of um, paddling out a pipe one arvo. Couple of bombs. You know, a yep. couple of solid ones, like solid enough to get Uncle D interested. So he was sitting out there with Bruce, and the two of them just sat the deepest, the furthest out. And it was a pretty solid crowd, but it was, uh, you know, perfect oil glass, that, you know, black water, but with that last bit of sun when it goes all golden as it lifts. And uh, the two of them split a peak, and it was one of the best things I've ever seen because the crowd just parted like Moses' part in the Red Sea, you know? Like, mm -hmm. they just all got out of the way as one of the all-time greats went right and the other all-time great went left. It was a borderline spiritual moment. It was incredible. <laughs> there was another couple as well down from your way. The, uh, the Carols. Oh, Nick there you go. And Tom, of course. Uh, Nick, Mr. Sunset himself. He used to charge Sunset, but, of course, um, yes, yeah, <laughs> Wow, Tom was just, ah. how good was he on anything? But uh, Tom, yeah, I surfed in the, uh, the World Cup in Sunset, and he took that out. The um, So, you know, his backhand attack at Sunset was insane. Um, you know, and it's a good wave on the backhand. You get all that room to move and hook right up into the pocket. But um, Nick was just iconic out there. He had that wide stance. He would read that wave just perfect, and the West Peak just glide into those elongated bottom turns. Oh, mate, I really miss... I really miss those big sunset rolling fades yeah. like uh, that Kong used to do. He'd go yeah. left for like 25 minutes before he decided <laughs> to hit the uh, inside of the point there or the bowl. That's right. And uh, Shane Aran had a couple of classic ones as well. But those early sort of mid to late 80s sunset sessions where yeah. Kong was basically uh, the man out there, they were so fun to watch. Boards were big too, eh, Rob? Yeah, they were. We are talking about this morning. We're, we're seeing some of the guys surfing pipe this morning with 5.11s. I mean, you know, I was talking to Rab about that. That's just crazy. But, you know, it was, it's a different approach. Obviously, taking off a pipe these, these days to take off under the lip, whereas we are sort of taking off on, on bigger, wider sections. So you'd have a little bit more room, a little bit more time to think about it and get down the face. But uh, the big boards. And we, we saw, um, obviously, uh, Howie, you know, surfing the big board in the, um, uh, the shootout recently. Mason. That yeah. was unreal. That was so cool. I was He's stoked so to see good. him do that. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? Kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. 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 You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me. 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 Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you fucking 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 kidding me?